This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, follow all that's happening heading into the weekend. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Uh, there is a uh, ton going on as uh, many many, many um, schools are back in session and uh, football, college football is around. There's baseball, maybe playoff baseball in uh, the home uh, station, uh, San Diego. We'll see if the Padres can hold on and move up. Uh, of course, the Dodgers are out there. We'll see. Anyway, great to be back. And uh, don't forget, please, ProAmericaReport.com. Okay, in a couple minutes, we'll catch up with our old friend, uh, Dr. Brett Decker, who lived for a couple of years, as I recall. It was certainly two years, might have been uh, longer, in Hong Kong and over in uh, the Far East. He was then working for the Wall Street Journal in the Asian, um, the Wall Street Journal Asia as a... As a um, journalist and has a great perspective on what's going on over there so we'll talk to him see what the story is with china and we'll get to that in a moment and we'll also talk with jim hansen jim hansen's written a book called winning the second civil war without firing a shot out from republic book publishers really good book uh having him back on he's a former special forces guy talking about what's happening uh good always a good interview all right let's get to it uh crisis afghanistan day four crisis afghanistan day four if i knew how to I would say that phrase in Chinese because the communist Chi- communist Chinese regime has basically announced and the Taliban has seconded that they will not only have diplomatic um, relations, you know, keep open their embassy or whatever it is, but they have already announced that they will be funding the Taliban and allowing the Taliban to um, get international aid and uh, get international status all through the what's called the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, alternatively Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, some people call it uh, One Belt and Road. And anyway, the plan of the Chinese stated publicly is to spend massive amounts of money in places and nations where they uh, know the the home nation, the home community needs help. So all over the world, you go to Africa, the Chinese, the communist regime is, you know, when you have a command control economy like the communist regime, you can make the 1.4 billion people do whatever you want them to do. So they're spending hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in places like Africa and South America and Latin America and all over. And they've now announced and the Taliban has agreed that China, the communist regime, will be helping fund the Taliban and helping fund Afghanistan. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's some people talking about the rare earth minerals that are in that part of the world. There's some there's some people talking about, you know, the uh, allowing uh, terrorism to flower there will cause America heartache and problems. I have two observations. One is the Chinese have a border. I think it's less than 50 miles with uh, Afghanistan, and it's in the part of a China. China, the part of the Chinese nation that is closer to the Uyghurs, the Muslim Uyghurs. I I think the Chinese regime wants influence on that border, and they want to make sure that they can try to uh, take care of things. I, I have heard commentators say... The Chinese will come to regret this because the Soviets thought they could run it. They thought they could, um, you know, dominate. So did the Americans and and the allied forces for 20 years. Um, So maybe, maybe. But my second observation is the Chinese regime just wants influence everywhere. And they are, you know, willing to spend their nation, you know, 1.4 billion people, about 800 million, 900 million, could be a billion, live in, you know, relatively, um, you know, second world status. But they don't have any ability to change that. I mean, if you're in the ruling class in China, the communist regime favors you. You send your kids to Europe or America for school. You travel wherever you want. You're given uh, control of, uh, of, uh, of entities and you get wealthy. 
But that's only 200 million people. I mean, it's a lot of people. But there's a billion others that are living in a way that's different than, uh, than most of the modern world because they don't know any better and they can't change it. And so that's, I think the Chinese just want influence anywhere and it should be resisted. It's a big deal. And here's the interesting thing. You probably know Candace Owens. Uh, you probably heard of Kansas o- Candace Owens. She's, uh, she's, I guess she's, she's written a couple of books, maybe, maybe one or two books. She's African American young woman, very articulate, conservative. And she's been a presence for uh, about four or five years as a conservative voice. And she can get away with saying the truth because she's an African American woman. She's very, very dynamic. And she said before the election in 2020, Biden will give over Afghanistan to the Chinese regime. And she's taking a victory lap uh, on Friday, I think it was, on social media saying, look what I said a few years ago about Biden. But it certainly feels that way. Biden also, his White House also announced that they're going to lessen the penalties for people that are dealing fentanyl. Fentanyl is the drug that's killing people all across the country. I might have killed as a football player, 53-year-old football player. I think it's Keith McCants. I remember him playing. He's been retired a few years now, probably 15 years, but he died. Looks like he may have died from uh, an overdose. There's other examples of fentanyl. Fentanyl comes from China. Fentanyl is produced by China. China's sending fentanyl to our country and killing our people. And not killing five people. They're killing 50,000, maybe 100,000 a year. So Joe Biden just changed the rules, wants to change the rules of enforcement to make the penalties for fentanyl dealers less. Well, how is that good? How, How is that appropriate? How does that help America first? But it certainly helps the Chinese. If you can get, if the dealers out there know they'll be in less trouble for dealing fentanyl, then they realize, well, I could do that. And I, the risk is less to me. You know, don't, again, we've, we've talked about this before. Don't expect people to act irrational. Ask them, you know, they're going to look at it and they're going to say, oh, I can get away with this. I can make a lot of money this way because the Chinese are subsidizing this. It's coming in through the border and I won't pay a big penalty. Oh, that's not too bad then. Or do the other way. If you were dealing fentanyl and someone said, someone suggested on Twitter, you get the death penalty because you're giving people the death penalty to take the uh, fentanyl, then, okay, then let's do that. And, and then people say, yeah, that may be not worth the trouble. So Joe Biden is giving up. He hasn't given up on the, tar- on the uh, tariffs, the Trump tariffs. Trump, uh, President Trump won in the World Trade Organization some of his tariffs very early on, his tariffs that he slapped on. I forget which one he, he put them on. He put, and, and the World Trade Organization has an appeals process. China appealed and China lost just in the last uh, 48 hours or so. So the, the, those tariffs are, are in place, and we haven't seen uh, uh, Joe Biden try to move those yet. But who knows? He might. He might. Um, the um, yeah, this is the uh, this is the China challenged it in the World Trade Organization. It took all this time, like two and a half years, to get to the bottom of the case. And it was I remember it had to do with solar panels, solar panels, because the Chinese were um, uh, subsidizing the solar panel industry, therefore making it impossible for American companies that wanted to use solar power to buy American because they were basically the Chinese were subsidizing it and it was driving American companies out of business. So Trump put a tariff on him and said, okay, well then if you try to sell a solar panel in America, China, we're going to make you pay a 20% tariff. That will make it even with the companies because you're subsidizing it. And everybody screamed bloody murder. Well, Trump won. So we haven't seen if uh, Joe Biden is uh, giving up on the tariffs yet. But as to Afghanistan, he did what, again, intentionally, I can't read his mind, but he did what gave the Taliban uh, the ability to give over the country to China, to the communist regime. He's now dropped the penalties on fentanyl, which gives the Chinese government a way to continue to destroy American lives, to kill American people, destroy American families. So that's the two things he's done concretely. 
Uh, you know, we, we got the news out today, and I'm going to ask Dr. Decker about this also. We got the news that the economy's you know, slowed down. We have inflation and we have slow job growth. Stagflation is what people are calling it. That's the term that's used for it. But it doesn't matter. It's just bad. It's bad for people. When we're not getting people working, it's bad for the economy. And that's what we got. So that's what we have with Joe Biden. He's now also, he while on his watch, and I don't know if I can blame him for this, but the uh, World Health Organization, no, no, we, I can blame him for this. The FBI has said, or the intelligence community has said, yeah, we just can't get to the bottom of where the uh, Wuhan virus started. Can't get to the bottom of it. Just somebody just get to the bottom of it. That's your job. Somebody just get to the bottom of it. That's your job. And the idea that we're, we're going to let China, at this point, does anybody really believe that China either, China has one of two things with the Wuhan virus. Either they created it or it escaped and it's destroyed, you know, destroyed the economies of the world. Or when they found it, they realized something was wrong and they hid it from us. Either one of those, one of those two is true. Could be both. Probably not both because one, it looks like it's intentional. So, but that's what we have. That's where we are. And this is what we have this president doing based on his, his, his ability, his incompetence, his inability, his lack of ability to handle what's going on is handing to China. Oh, and one more. Sorry, I'm looking back at my notes. North Korea has decided they can go back to making nuclear material. And as you know, I tell you all the time, North Korea can't turn the lights on in their country without permission from China. China's got control of their economy you know, in, in, in every way. So they're they're a vassal state. So that they're now developing nuclear uh, um, material seems pretty much another thumb in the eye for people, for the the uh, the um, uh, Chinese regime into the eye of uh, America. It's unbelievable to watch. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back and talk with Dr. Brett M. Decker. Get an update both on China as well as the economy right after this break. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Well, I'm happy to welcome back Jim Hansen. He's a U.S. Army Special Forces, retired, and uh, then went on to a career in the private sector in business, and he has commented many times on national security issues and others. And I, I came to know him through his book, which was published by Republic Book Publishers, and the book is entitled Winning the Second Civil War Without Firing a Shot. came out uh, May 16th of this year, and, uh, and, and it is... Um, uh, it is really uh, well-timed, uh, Jim, I have to say. And so welcome to the program. How are you today? Good to be with you, Ed. Uh, yeah, a lot going on. A lot going on. So first, before we get to it, I, I got something about, uh, I want to talk about Australia, what's happening there, because it's, it's almost happening moment to moment. Before I get to that, I want to go back to your book, because when you started to write that book, um, you, you probably couldn't know the, the, how the election would go. More importantly, you couldn't know probably January 6th was going to happen the way it was and how it was going to be weaponized by the left. But, you know, the question I had thinking of you looking at your book last night in preparation for this is... How do you how do you with a straight face or how does one with a straight face compare what Antifa and Black Lives Matter, the rioters did and then what happened on January 6th and watch the difference in treatment? And it's almost like the nation were just too tired or were too brainwashed to notice nobody's doing anything. I mean, they're they're literally I think a couple of days ago could have been today that there was one of the guys is being sent back to prison for watching the Internet. You know, one of the guys that's been charged and not charged with insurrection, by the way, he's charged with some. 
So how do you how do you with a straight face Antifa Black, Black Lives Matter is burning down cities. And now they by the way, they just disappeared now. They're not around because they were political. It was for the election season. But the, the enforcement and the prosecution, it's just stunning, isn't it? It is a 100 percent hypocritical use of political power to attack your enemies. And by your enemies, I mean the left enemies. So the, right. the permanent bureaucracy and, you know, all of the folks who for so long have been trying to fundamentally transform this country into some kind of, you know, uh, are working to use their ability to control both the narrative in the media and the use of our law enforcement and national security apparatus to attack our side. And it's, it's, we cannot afford anymore to allow that to happen. And you're absolutely right. The BLM Antifa riots, riots uh, were the spur for this for me. I'd seen it coming for a long time, but the, the title uh, was a, an idea that they were firing the opening shots in a, a much scarier kind of war, and our team had to pay attention to what was going on on the constitutional side, or this could spiral out of control. Well, and so before I go back to, I want to go to Australia next, but I mean, has it spiraled out of control? I mean, do you think it's out of control now? I think we are actually going to take back the House and Senate in 2022, and I think that puts us back on a more political footing with this battle than the potential, you know, between um, the the actual insurrections that happened when they took control of a city in Seattle last year. And, uh, you know, the hype they did, as you mentioned, trying to turn the January 6th, which was a riot, but not an insurrection by any stretch of the imagination, into an actual, you know, ability to label all of us on the right extremists. So I think we've kind of stepped back from that precipice as long as 2022's election happens properly <laughs> well and I, I don't want to get into this is the different conversation again we're talking with uh, jim hansen whose book is winning the second civil war without firing a shot available uh, republic book publishers and go anywhere and find it i mean that's the question right we'll see probably in a few weeks that what i hear in california is the recall it, it's going to make the 2020 election look like a walk in the park they're doing everything from stuff in the ballot boxes to you know, gathering and we'll see i mean we, if we ever have a, a real election again but now back to australia or over to Australia. We're watching in Australia mandatory uh, app for your phone that you have to prove where you are. If you don't prove it fast enough, they'll send the police out for you. I guess the question I have for you, Jim, is in your book and in observing this, is, is, that, so, is that what we should fear? Or should we say to ourselves, look, Australia is a massive country with only you know one, what, 20th the size of America. It's a different uh, mindset. They, they don't have a Second Amendment. They don't have, I mean, I, but it's, it, it's, it's stunning to watch. They're literally, you know, uh, going to cops are going to go and and make sure you're in your home because they're cracking down on the COVID stuff. No, I I think we should absolutely look at that as a canary in the coal mine. Now you, you mentioned it. They don't have our constitution. They don't have those protections, but the left in America now no longer respects the constitution or those protections. And they're doing everything they can to take them away. So they, they literally now think that hate speech should no longer be covered covered by the First Amendment and protected. But yet, if they get to define what hate speech is, we're probably doing hate speech right now, you and I. So we can't trust that the Constitution, as, you know, expected and and as it actually is written, uh, is a 100 percent guarantee anymore. And we have to be vigilant in making sure that we are involved in every aspect of political, civil and cultural 
pushback against the woke left. And that's really, that's the theme of my book, is everybody has to get in that fight or we could become Australia. And that would be a disgrace. Uh, again, we're talking with Jim Hansen, uh, retired U.S. Army Special Forces. You can hear it in his uh, in his uh, voice and in, in the conversation. His book, Winning the Second Civil War Without Firing a Shot. I have to give you credit for this. May 16th, the book came out. Most people, and this is what I want to get to next with with you and your experience in, in security and in managing people and seeing, uh, you know, uh, warfare. Most people at this point are looking up and going, you know what? It's not that advantageous for me to be publicly identified with, uh, you know, right, center right or Trump or anything else. You, you published a book <laughs> that went right out into it. But h- how do we how do we uh, sort of encourage? I worry that, you know, candidates for office are great for us to rally around, but it's not sufficient. In other words, yes, we need a new Congress and yes, we need new leadership, but we also need sort of, uh, you know, smaller movements of people. We need courage to become contagious because the, the threat right now, the wokeness is actually they'll take on you and me and General Flynn, the left will, and they'll they'll happily pick that up. But they're mostly playing for the crowd and saying, just be quiet. It's easier for you to be quiet. It's easier for you not to have to answer a question at work about a bumper sticker or something you said. That's the real myth. Self-censorship is the real threat here. You know, Ed, I think you hit the nail right on the head. And that's that's where I want to appeal to all of your listeners and everyone else, because every time one more patriot raises their hand and says, I'm not going to take this anymore, I'm not going to let you push me out of our public conversation with your thought policing, you know, with your idea that conservative beliefs are now somehow extremism. Conservative beliefs are America. And the idea that we should be scared to speak is, is the way they're doing it. They're using that against us. And at one more Patriot stands up, two more people see them. And then they're emboldened to stand up. And we start and we link arms and we form a shield wall and then we advance on them. And I think that's the way to right. do it. It has to come at the grassroots level, at every school board meeting, city council meeting, the lunchroom at work, wherever it is. Yes, they may attack you, but you'll be emboldening your friends and neighbors and countrymen. And together, we'll prevail against them. We're not going to lose to, you know, the artisanal arugula chomping, lots of <laughs> We're going to beat them. There you go. Uh, winning the Second Civil War Without Firing a Shot, Jim Hansen's book. Uh, Jim, last thing about uh, uh, at this moment, you must have watched what happened in Afghanistan in particular with uh, with a heavy heart and probably a bit of anger. And and I guess the question I have to ask for you is we had to end the war. Everybody says that. It was always going to be hard to do. Taliban was probably going to gain ground over time. I think I read the Russians, when the Soviets, when they left Afghanistan, it took a couple years for the, the, the sort of propped up government they, they put in place to get wiped out. Um, um, but but the level of incompetence, I guess, is it incompetence in your mind what the, they did as they pulled out Biden and his team? Is it negligence? Is it intentional? How do you feel about it? Uh, it, it is all three. And that's the truly horrifying thing. They, they had a bad idea. They did it in foreknowledge of the potential events and they did it incompetently. So I, I don't think you can give them an ounce of credit for anything beyond the desire to make and score political points by being the administration that finally withdrew from Afghanistan, which I agreed with and I wanted them to do. But we had a right as Americans, and the world had a right with America as the preeminent world power, for that to happen professionally and competently and not be done with secret backroom deals where the Taliban gets bought off 
and you know is essentially given now all the trappings of a modern army and control of a mid-sized country. That was a disgrace. Biden, if, if he had the guts to resign, should. If not, he should be impeached. And none of the, the military leaders should ever show their faces in public again. Sadly, none of them will resign. That <laughs> sounds right. That's the craziest thing about it. Nobody's held accountable at all. I mean, and you'd think at least they'd adjust and somebody would uh, walk the plank to say, hey, we screwed it up. But all right, Jim Hansen, thank you for coming on with us. Winning the Second Civil War Without Firing a Shot, uh, a hardcover book available, Republic Book Publishers. I, I have the book. It's really good. Jim Hansen's very uh, helpful. So check it out. Thanks, Jim, for the time. Great to be with you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, I've been looking forward to this because of my first question. You're going to hear me, and uh, it'll make him smile, I think, too. Uh, Alan He Chen is a, an academic. He's an accomplished academic over at Hoover Institution. He's been very prominently an advisor to presidential candidates, and you know you're smart. A guy is smart when he works for one presidential candidate, and then after that guy gets out or doesn't win, the other ones come along and say, just help us because you're smart. So he's really, really well credentialed. Well, here's where it gets crazy. He decided to run for office, and he's now one of the candidates, and it's a really important job. So he's one of the candidates in California for the uh, controller, the guy that sees, the guy or gal in this case, there's a gal that's there now, the incumbent who's limited out, who uh, sees where the money goes and what happens with it. So uh, Lonnie Chen, welcome to the program. My first question, though, is you've seen this. You've seen politics up close. You've seen what happened. How, what's happened in your judgment that you want to be the candidate? I mean, this is a, <laughs> you have a wife, you have kids. I mean, this is not this is uh, terrible. I mean, I guess faculty politics can be pretty rough and tumble, too, but it's not a nice business. And you seem like a smart, civilized guy. What, what made you decide to run for office? Well, Ed, thanks for, for having me with you. I think maybe the short answer is I was dropped on my head one too many times as a kid. Yeah, that, that might <laughs> explain what it is. No, but in all seriousness, you know, I have been uh, a Californian for much of my life. I grew up in Southern California. I live in Northern California now. And at some point, you just, you've had it, you know, and I've had it with the politics here in California. I've had it with what I perceive as a state that has uh, spending that we can't account for politicians that aren't responsible to the people who elect them. And, you know, I really do believe this is true. And a number of people have told me this and, and I, and I believe this as well, which is if you want change, you have to get in the arena. You have to get in there and make that change. And that's why I've made the decision to run for state controller. Uh, the focus of my life and career has been on coming up with solutions to tough problems, particularly when it comes to fiscal and financial issues. And you've mentioned the job of controller. That's why I'm running for this job, because I think I can bring some good ideas and real responsibility to the people of California. Uh, we're, again, we're talking with uh, Lonnie Chen. And, and um, so, uh, controller. But first, no, let me ask you a political question. I, I bet when you started doing this, you thought, look, I think I can make an argument. I've got the background. I've got the credentials. You know, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people in California that I think would say, you know, we want smart people. And so you'd say, okay, maybe you can make, cut your, you know, cut into this uh, Democrat state. Now with uh, the recall and with the, 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 the you know, the, the, just the pure politics of it, you've got California burning, you've got uh, power outages, you know, the economy's slumping a bit. I mean, it, and then, of course, there's the Larry Elder factor, which is out there. It probably feels uh, better, but it's still 2022, right? So you're, you're a long way off. But how, how do you think that California, I mean, 
give me your best. Uh, hey, we're people are so sick of it. They're going to take a, another look, a kind of a spiel. Well, here's the thing, Ed. I, I think the recall election really surfaces a deep frustration people have with what's going on in California. You know, th- there's an effort to make this recall sound partisan. You know, the governor wants this to be all about, oh, this is a partisan recall. It's just a bunch of Republicans. You know, the reality, as your listeners know, is it's not. It's millions of Californians who are fed up with a lot of bad stuff happening in our state. They see the homeless problem getting worse. They see our straight, our streets getting less safe. They see our economy slumping. They see the governor using his executive power kind of however he feels like it without really justifying what he's doing. And all these reasons, I think, suggest that there is an environment for change in California. It's true. Republicans haven't had a statewide elected official in California in 15 years. It's a big challenge. But people in California, I think, are also at a point where they want something different. They want a second look at people who are willing to go to Sacramento and make changes and make reforms who aren't just going to go and accommodate business as usual. And I think the, the recall shows that. It shows the frustration, the same frustration that led me to want to run for this office in part. So I think that's a, a big part of the reason why, even though it's going to be an uphill climb, I think we've got a really good shot at this, Ed. Yeah. Uh, again, we're talking with Lon He Chen, and uh, as I mentioned, he's uh, academic. He's taught. He's uh, he's written. He's uh, lots of things, um, and uh, also been advisor to, to presidents and uh, candidates. Um, on the job control controller. I mean, people forget. Not people don't forget in California, but I forget, and I like to remind people the the California economy is one of the largest economies in the world. I mean, the, the person who heads up the California government is a, is one of the you know one of the top twenty five or thirty leaders in the world. Now, admittedly, you don't get an army if you're the governor, but you know you get the national guard, I guess. But it's a very different. But controller of that economy, and so I want to ask you. As much money, and tell me the number of the budget and what moves through that moves through the the California government. But how's the transparency level? And I'll tell you, uh, Lonnie, I, when I, I was chief of staff many years ago to Governor Matt Blunt in Missouri, and one of the things we yeah. did, which we're still so proud of, is we started a transparency portal where you just we didn't judge anything. We just put every tax dollar spent up on a website, and and that had a had a uh, you know had an impact on. You know, people could go look and, and, and didn't change everything overnight, but it was it was very how is Cali how would you describe California's even just the ability to know what's going on with their massive, massive budget? Well, if I were to give the state of California a grade when it comes to transparency, it would get an F. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. You know, what you guys did in Missouri, the changes, the kinds of reforms that you helped lead there. That's a similar thing to what I want to do in California. So you talk about a transparency portal. I'll give you a piece of data that will, that will scare people who listen to this, to this interview. In 2018, the controller of California oversaw $300 billion in payments, $300 billion with a B. But the controller is unwilling or unable to tell us where each of those dollars went. They cannot give you a line item of spending from that $300 billion. They can't tell you exactly where every check went. I'll tell you something, Ed. If you ran a business that way, you'd be in jail. If you ran your family budget that way, you'd be bankrupt. In California, it's business as usual. That's unacceptable. We have the the, the world's fifth largest economy in California. There you go. The the, the total size of our economy, over $3 trillion, almost as big as Germany, all right? And and you can't provide accountability for spending, it is ludicrous. It's got to change. 
Well, and when you get so if you when you win, you can uh, you, Matt Blunt, Governor Blunt, will tell you how to do it. it. It's pretty it was pretty cool. But hey, I just came up with an idea. We're talking with Lonhee uh, Chen, and, and by the way, make sure to tell us your website. I'm not finding it in my notes, but I came up with an idea. If Larry Elder wins or any other Republican, maybe they could like put appoint you like special assistant to to do transparency for the governor, and you could still be running, and you could you don't get paid for it or something, and say, hey, look, this is the kind of stuff we could do. I mean, one of the arguments I I say, Lonhee, is that. It's almost like Californians haven't haven't seen what different leadership can be. I mean, Schwarzenegger was, you know, he did some things well, some things poorly, but it's a long time ago already. So you almost have to show what what could be done. Do you? I, by the way, so remind us the website. But do you have to politically? Have you had to take a position on not on the recall? I'm sure you're supporting that, but on candidates, or are you staying out of who uh, should be the next governor? Yeah, you know, I, I've been saying that I think any of the people running, and I've got a number of friends amongst people who are running for, for replacement of Gavin Newsom, I think uh, they do a better job than Newsom. There's no question about it. But I haven't endorsed a specific candidate. Look, I think change in, in Sacramento is a good thing. Uh, I'd like your listeners to go to my website, which is Chen for California, C-H-E-N for California dot com, and take a look at my ideas. Take a look at what I'm trying to do to bring accountability, bring transparency to Sacramento. If they like what they see, I hope they'll sign up for updates from my campaign. I hope they'll pitch in a few bucks if they are so inclined, because what we're trying to do here, Ed, is bring change to a status quo that needs to be changed. We need to go up there and fix a lot of different things. Transparency is just one of them. We need to be auditing state agencies and programs to make sure they're doing the job that they say they're going to do. And I think we can do that because you're right. People it's been a long time since we've had change in California. But again, intuitively, people get something is not right here. Something needs to be changed. And that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm running for this office. Yeah, I think it's really well timed. And I think by the time you get to 2022, you know, uh, Lonnie Chan is who we're talking to. A lot of times it's just when you run, you can make great arguments. If it happens to be, you know, in the, the year Obama was on the ballot in 08, it didn't matter. It's, so I think it looks like yeah. a really good uh, cycle for you. Remind us that website again. I'm sorry. And then and, and, and we'll, we'll pump it up and uh, spread the words. Remind me again, please. Yeah. Chen, Chen for California. C-H-E-N-F-O-R California.com. Go check it out. And, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to get your support. Yeah, we will spread the word, and I think um, I think hopefully hopefully Governor Elder or somebody like that, whatever Republican gets through that, can really uh, also make the argument for how things can be different. Thank you, Alanhee Chen, again. Thank you for uh, well, and thank you two things for coming on. We'll have you on again too in this next year. But thank you for running because it's not. I'm only half kidding when I say it's an ugly business. It's difficult. They make it tough on you. Remember, Larry Elder got in that race for a minute, and they started going through his uh, financials, and it just it's a, it's a so you have to have some courage and chutzpah to do it. So thank you for running. Thank you. I appreciate it, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. From the makers of the Anti-American for the People Act and the Unaffordable Affordable Care Act, comes yet another bill title carefully crafted to deceive the American people. Under the innocuous title of Infrastructure, a revamping of our society into a socialist state was thrust into the national discussion. The so-called Infrastructure Bill, priced at a whopping $3.5 trillion, is nothing more than a federal takeover of everything from childcare 
to state transportation systems. No one doubts that our highways could use some repair, but these Democrat-written bills are about nearly everything other than highway funding. The $3.5 trillion Democrat version included federally controlled universal preschool, taxpayer-subsidized childcare, low-income housing, free community college, and more leftist fake energy projects like clanky windmills. That's a whole lot of bill for very little infrastructure. Child care, free indoctrination at community college, and radical environmentalism have nothing to do with real infrastructure, and neither do the dirty inner-city buses that few people actually ride on. This is socialism on steroids. The tidal wave of printed money would not flow to improving highways and bridges, as Americans are misled to believe. Some of the dollars would be poured down the drain of mass transit, which has never been economical, even though they are the transportation method preferred by liberals to make people more dependent on government. Sadly, few legislators have read even portions of the infrastructure bill, much less the average American citizen. That is what is so hazardous about these massive multi-trillion dollar spending packages with their deceptively cute names. In a nation where sound bites win the day, there's no end to the amount of pork that can be hidden within the pages of a lengthy bill. If conservatives want to win out over deceptive legislation like the ridiculous Democrat infrastructure bill, our first task must be to assure the American people that the bill has nothing to do with infrastructure. When we use their terminology, we're agreeing to fight on their terms. As inflation soars to greater and greater heights, we must raise a unified banner against a pork barrel agenda. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Uh, it was very, very interesting uh, topics people have been sending me. Uh, you know, folks like to go to ProAmericaReport.com. You can send me an email directly through the website there. And I got this one referred to me. Uh, I, I think maybe it's my own uh, doing that I've said to you all. If you want to see what the left thinks in a way that is supposed to look like mainstream, go to Politico. Politico is what the left, that's where they feed their stuff. It leans left generally, you know, the editorial, but it also, it's trying to spin you and you have to watch it closely. So the magazine, they have a magazine, you know, the old, in the old days, we'd have those uh, New York magazine or New York times magazine. And uh, I guess people still get them, but nobody cares anymore. I mean, it's lost there, but Politico did that. And I don't know if they publish one or not, but it's kind of a, a weekly and that, the, and the stories are more in depth. Here was the one story. Here's an opinion piece. And the opinion piece poses as, oh my gosh, it's all the experts telling you something, right? And so the title is, The Dangerous Legal Illusion of Parental Rights. The Dangerous Legal Illusion of Parental Rights. And one of you sent it to me, it's David. David said, look at how they use these three people. They write a very fluffy piece. It's a very short piece. It's not much to it. They don't actually do any defending of the facts or the, uh, or the uh, details. They just say, look, one of them is a uh, pediatric clinical translational researcher. Whoa, that sounds really important. Another one is a professor of pediatrics and health policy. Ooh, okay. And a professor of law. 
So you got somebody who's a full-on academic in two departments. The last person is also the chair of law and medicine and the director of the Institute for Bioethics. Woo! All these, two of them are Louisville Law School, Louisville schools, Louisville School of Medicine. So they're colleagues. One of them is writing this, and then they're feeding it to the other, signing off on it. And then the other one is uh, looks like Vanderbilt. So anyway, my point here is you're supposed to read this and be like, oh, my gosh. And here's what they basically say. They say parental rights stop when a parent puts their kid in danger. And okay, that sounds legitimate, right? If you saw a, a parent who like was walking his child across the road, at, you know, not at the crosswalk, was speeding traffic and was going to get the child killed, you'd say, well, the parent, the parental's going to, the parent's going to lose parental rights, right? So that's all you say. Oh yeah. Or if let's say that a parent is uh, driving around in a car and they've got their child, uh, you know, in the front seat when the child's a year old and he can't hold his head up and he can't do anything, you say, oh, that, 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 that's, that's endangering the child. There's going to be some imposition of a penalty on them. That's how they set this up. They say parental rights are not absolute. I don't know many people who think parental rights are absolute. I do know lots of people. I'm one of them that thinks parental rights is really, really strong. That you don't get to say you get to be in, in the, and they call it in parentis loco or in the, in the place of the parent. You don't get to say that. That's a legal standard very easily because unless I'm, insane or deca- de- uh, uh, incapacitated and my wife is not around, you don't get to take the role of my role as a parent for my kids. Very, it, it, my point is it's got to be a very high standard, tough standard. Well, these three, because they're doctors and lawyers and ethicists, they say, yeah, first of all, I'm going to tell you the principle. The principle is parental rights are not absolute. If the parent endangers their child, they are really going to be a problem and they're going to have trouble. Then the next thing, here it comes. Masks are necessary to protect the kids. If you don't do masks, if you don't support masks, parents, you're violating your kids. Your parental rights will be limited. Limited. What? What? No, 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 no real analysis of the fact that no kids, no kids have no kids have a high risk of impact from COVID. Even kids that have comorbidities. I go, I shouldn't say no kids. I should say there are very few kids, very, very few that have massive comorbidities that are threatened by COVID. For 99.99% of the kids, it's a no, it's it's just a not doer. It's not, so, and and it doesn't do anything to them. It's not a big impact. It's not a terrible. And so what is it these people are asserting? They're saying they're basically using their titles, doctors, bioethicists to say, you must roll over and yield parental rights. Heck no. Heck no. And more importantly, this is great that David sent this to me, this piece. More importantly, do you see how crazy it is? That's exactly why you don't roll over for parental rights, because the people who are making the decision about what's most dangerous are not even trying to defend it. They're not actually even trying to explain it. They're just saying, we think masks are not, they're not, they say, masks aren't a big imposition on kids, they say, even if you concede that. And I will. I don't agree with it, but I'll concede it. The next part is they say, so it's dangerous to the kids. How? Kids don't get sick. If you look, if you have a child who's 12 years old and you think that you, um, uh, your child has terrible asthma, has an immune de- 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 deficiency, some kind of disease, then you would be in your right mind to say, I'm keeping my kid home or I'm going to have my kid perhaps wear a mask. But if your kids are normal and it does no benefit for them, 
Who's who's benefiting by making kids wear masks? Who's benefiting by making kids feel uncomfortable? You know, breathe heavy, not interact with each other, feel ostracized. How about that? How about somebody say what I want people to say more, which is if you scare kids, it's especially mean. It's really mean to scare anybody, any person scared by people who use their doctor, lawyer, ethicist name, you know, titles to try to tell you what you have to do. Scaring people is mean. It's terrible. But it gets even worse when you scare vulnerable people, like children who are supposed to take care of and protect, or seniors. That's what you're doing here. It's a crazy situation. We're watching it happen. It's just nuts. And so just you got to read these things. Thank you, David. I went on a rant. I was going to do other stuff. I went on a rant. When you see people use their title and their credentials to tell you something, and then they just boldly assert it, you have to run the other way. I actually think it's a great argument. It's a great essay for telling people, hey, do what you want because these parental rights, these are these people are coming for your parental rights. This isn't even about vaccines, by the way, which is a whole other argument. Same way, by the way. They say you got to have them. That doesn't help kids. So there you have it. All right, we got to run. Listen, have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you, as always, to our great, great producer, Noah, for keeping everything going and Joanna for booking our guests. We will be back next week. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.